Welcome to the T's and C's. Tisa and Chantel. Also known as the Terms and Conditions. My name is Janine Francois. My name is Agostina Pinnock. And my name is Rita Gale. We are Black, Black Scholars, Scholars located, located in, England. in England. In this episode, we are stepping in for the T's and C's team to discuss our work and the lives of our communities during this time of COVID-19. Well, how is everybody? Good, yeah. Yeah, I'd say I'm good. I mean, yeah. it's a little hot, but I live. <laughs> Which is quite shocking for me, right? To be saying that coming from a place with 30 degree temperatures all year round, you know, so clearly, you know, something is not quite, uh, I don't know, something is a lot of sorts so that I'm now hot in England. Jeez. Right. <laughs> so end, right? <laughs> Ultimately, right? Oh, boy. Wow. So, you know, I mean, it's great that we, the three of us have got together. Um, to talk about you know this time that we're in is 2020 and we had the recent Wimros scandal and we had Brexit and we thought okay what's going to happen next and this is what happened next right COVID-19 so you know we're getting here together to talk about as black scholars because I think we recognize um, lots of people have been talking about what's going on um, but it's really important as black scholars to talk about what's happening to our communities, right? Mm -hmm. what yeah. Specifically mm -hmm. happening, yeah. specific experiences that we're having. So, mm -hmm. you know, you know, what are your thoughts on that? You know, to just expand on our private conversations that we've been having. Well, my thought is, um, as I've said to both of you before, that I feel like part of the responsibility, I mean, and you know, I have to just send to Sylvia Winter right off the bat, um, as she says that part of the responsibility that black scholars have is to marry our thoughts to our actions. So our action is representative in a lot of ways of the scholarship that we're engaging in. So it's not just theorizing for theorizing sake. You know, and just before we began, I was reading Erna Bradba, uh, uh, Jamaican um, writer and sociologist. And by writer, I, I mean writer of fiction. And, you know, ver very well acknowledged that one of the things that she's saying is that in many instances, in the context of black spaces, I mean, I'm widening out what she's saying, in many instances, thought is itself an action. You know, and that's something that we have to really think about, you know, how, you know, just the act of disrupting some of the silences around us, the act of uh, talking back. I mean, I know this sounds like we're kind of locked in the sort of post-colonial conversations that they were having probably 20, 30, 40 years ago, but it's still as relevant today as any other time, especially mm -hmm. as we see the the, ravage, the ravages that COVID-19, you know, mm -hmm. the, the toll that it is taking on black populations across the globe, but especially yeah. here in, in Britain. Absolutely. And we'll we'll definitely come to that. And Janine? Yeah. Um, so I've been revisiting Audrey Law's text, The Use of Anger, and, you know, thinking about anger as this space of praxis and energy and radicality to make systemic and structural change. And, you know, Auntie Audrey is a poet and a you know warrior lesbian mother as she would describe herself and I just like yeah I want to tap into that anger into that rage that I have regarding about how black folks are being treated and mishandled and misrepresented age-old things of course but the I think the context of COVID has really um I don't know really as a machine really just made it much more abusive and violent and it's just I feel a lot of rage and anger and I'm like how do I play with that energy that is um kind of responsible and productive but also meaningful so yeah that's kind of really where I'm at yeah and I think I think all of us feel that and it's like you know we're trying to save our own black life right mm -hmm, our own mm -hmm, black lives mm -hmm. and the lives of our communities right yeah us right across the board we're in danger with this um i think you know the the whole situation of covid i mean i was thinking about we were talking about when we were preparing for this i was thinking about what what works do i want to reference so i will be talking about you know lisa palmer's recent work um where she beautifully 
um, explores the experiences Diane Abbott mm -hmm. uh, experienced, the, the misogynoir, the, the, the forms of misogynoir that Diane Abbott has faced for decades, right, as um, uh, and, one of and, our leading politicians. And Rita, and, if I could, if I could, yeah. I mean, uh, just to, to also add to what you're saying is the timeline in which this happens is also important because yeah. Lisa's article came out in December of last year, November yeah, of last yeah, year. Yeah. And then, you know, so there was the election right after that or pretty much at the same yeah. time. And right. a couple of weeks ago, we were in this Labour Leaks report thing mm. that pretty much was centering almost all of the, the, the issues that Lisa was raising, which yeah. means that there is what there's a continuing cycle of violence that is being mobilized against black bodies in the specific instance of Diane Abbott against black women. You know, yeah. erasing their contributions, you know, uh, uh, hiding the, the, the kinds of pain. And so it was useful for me to hear Janine talk about, you know, this, the, the politics of anger, you know, tapping into that as a productive space to mobilize a different kind of conversation. That's very important to, 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 to say vis-a-vis -vis COVID-19 and yeah. its impact on Black people in this well, space. I think you're absolutely right. And I think Lisa Palmer is a, is a really an excellent example of how black scholarship can really speak to these times. So it's so easy when we're on Twitter to kind of see these snippets, but like, what's the context? And often what's missing in the UK, yes, is context. And these yeah. are really important. You need to, we need to understand, okay, the genealogies of these yeah. things. So think, yeah. nothing happens because it happens, right? There's a genealogy of experiences which lead to a present situation. Mm. And, and speaking of genealogy, I think one of the things that has really um, been important for, for all of us um, is looking at the specific experiences that Black people we're talking about our black people, right? People like us who are experiencing uh, the, the relationship to COVID-19. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. one of the things that really struck me um, where we saw, we we thinking, well, okay, so this is affecting everybody. Everyone's affected by, by COVID, but of course, some people are more affected than others. Right. And there was, there was some startling uh, uh, information where it basically had the figures because you know we were asking for so long we needed the figures about why are non-white people black asian other minority groups why are we most being affected by what are the figures and we mm -hmm. got the figures mm -hmm. so at the, the very top of those who were most uh the percentages being affected we saw black caribbean heritage mm -hmm. right at the top of the deaths closely followed by black african we were right up there so black people are right at the forefront of this. And and then, so we were seeing this racialization is happening, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it's not mm -hmm. coincidence. And then, you know, we saw Boris Johnson, he came out of hospital, remember, he, you know, he, he rose from the dead almost to come out. And the first thing he drops this incredible presentation. And, you know, we all read Stuart Hall, all of us have, you know, come from, you know, social sciences, arts backgrounds, so we know Stuart Hall's work yeah. mm -hmm. well. We never thought a piece of work of his from 1978 would be coming back. Because, you know, Boris said, and I, I had to write it down because I just thought, is mm -hmm. this really happening? You know, you have that out of body experience. And he mm -hmm. said this, he came out from the death. And the first thing he had to say was this. He, he used this term where he suddenly flipped this whole thing where we thought it, uh, COVID is something that affects everybody. So mm -hmm. suddenly, it's not everybody. The, the, the COVID-19 suddenly became a person. It mm. became a mother. Mm. And so he says this, he says, if this virus were a physical assailant, an unprecedented and invisible mugger, which I can tell you from personal experience it is, then this is the moment when we have begun to wrestle it to the floor. That's what he said. And I'm thinking, mugger? Stuart talks about police in the crisis, the mugger, the racialization of the mugger, the black mugger. Mm -hmm. And Boris has spoken, you know, about his times, you know, running around and doing his stuff and being in London as mayor, about seeing about his feelings, you know, walk, you know, doing exercises in parks and seeing, mm -hmm. you know, us minding our own business. And so it came to me of thinking that, wow, suddenly it's back on us. We're dying with the highest rate of death. And COVID is a mugger. Well, who is the mugger? 
in our society. Mm. That's someone black, right? So we're the, we're the victim, allegedly, but we've now become the perpetrators. Mm. And, and you know, it's interesting about that. And it's interesting you say that because uh, I, I feel like I have to go back to what Lisa says in this article, you know, mm. speak, there's a kind of, uh, and Aziza Johnson, and I know I'm name dropping, but I, I really have to just, you know, yeah. um, acknowledge uh, the community that we're part of. One of the things that Aziza, uh, I was at a conference and she said, well, you know, there's a, a, a sort of um, purposeful disremembering that obtains in the way that um, Britishness uh, mm. functions and how it works. And, and, and that is to be read against what Lisa calls the sort of archive, a colonial memory that is being pulled on, that continues to inform, you know, the sort of nostalgia for a past when, you know, cool Britannia ruled the waves and Britishness meant a certain kind of thing. And so that there's a way in which to normalize that certain kinds of bodies have to be removed from a sanitization, you know, a sort of a, a colonial racial hygiene that sanitizes the image of con contemporary Britain in the body of certain uh, communities. And by extension, that also means that you demonize and, and, and remove certain mm. other kinds of bodies, in this case, black bodies, who mm. are, you know, the most precariously placed, as we've seen. Yeah, the most yeah. precariously placed. And, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is how that leads into something that I've felt very strongly about is the idea of the politics of the response. And by that, I'm saying the way that the, the response is being configured around certain kinds of uh, political indices, almost like a theater. So we're, mm. we're, 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 we're performing for certain audiences. And in that performance, invariably forgetting that real people on the ground are dying, that mm. real lives are being lost. And I, I'm thinking here specifically in say, I mean, and this is not to disparage uh, the Jamaican state, certainly not, but one of the, the, the abiding criticisms that have been uh, leveled against the response is the way that, you know, they have constructed a narrative around um, uh, sheltering in place that assumes that everyone can shelter in place. It assumes that, you know, in a lockdown, people have savings stored up that they can pull on, you know, and at the same time, we are not also talking about how, you know, people still have to pay bills. You're now at home. You are, you know, you can't go out because there are curfews, you know, all of these things. You're using more water. You're using more electricity. You know, you need food in a way, perhaps, that if you were on the go, on the outside, running mm. from place to place, you wouldn't. But those resources are not immediately available to people. Yet, we curate a response that gives the impression that if people are not compliant with the requests of the state or with the demands that the state is making on them at this time, then it is them. They are the ones who are at fault. And that's problematic. It's problematic yeah. because it mm. continues the the, the the racialization and the violence. So on top of the fact that, you know, people are precariously positioned in relation to, to COVID and therefore are likely to get swept away in the tidal wave, they are being further demonized by those kinds of, you know, one size fits all responses. Mm. And that's mm. so, so problematic. I have to tell you something I feel very strongly about actually. And, you know, Janine, I was thinking as uh, Agostino was saying that, you know, I guess London is, you know, I guess we've seen, I mean, I feel like London is, I feel like I've experienced London in a really different way over COVID. You know, a city that I feel I know very well. And obviously you're a Londoner. I'm a Londoner, an adopted Londoner, but you're obviously, you know, this is your city. You've lived here all of your life. I mean, you know, how do you feel about how, you know, in light of what Agostino is saying, talking about Jamaica, about how you know, black black communities across London in particular have really been impacted by this in this way. Mm. Um, I think, oh, gosh, there's so much to say. I really think that class really plays through and it has made me, and I speak like as myself, um, implicated mm -hmm. in this process of someone who is from a middle-class background mm -hmm. and that what I'm experiencing is not what the people who live in the tower block behind me experiences. And that's because I've got a garden, I can look at them, you know? Mm. And 
it's I feel like what we really need to be talking about is that everybody's not black together mm. experiencing a different kind of black yes yes kind mm. of an ontological experience regarding covid mm-hmm. and class um for me is a, 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 the elephant in the room that we're all pointing towards we're all mm-hmm. looking at we're mm-hmm. ducking behind but nobody wants to say the name mm-hmm. and quite frustrating i'm finding it really frustrating because i'm like i know you're on middle class too and no one's talking about proximity to space no one's mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. you know where can you go to study and like um on tuesday i was teaching and again i put i am implicating myself because this is about the ways in which privilege works you i'm thinking everyone has access to space like me that i can sit in my front room and i can say to my mum, oh by the way i'm on a conversation do you mind i'm not knocking on the door for the next hour and she'll be fine and so i'm teaching on tuesday and i um, my students typing in a text box. Mm-hmm. I'm in my feelings as an educator. I'm like, put on your mic and talk to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking that maybe she's in a really big mm-hmm. hole that she can't put her mic on. Precisely. Feel her family situation and typing in a text box is the most accessible way for her to communicate communicate with me. And again, mm-hmm. I'm putting my hands up. So mm-hmm. not that I chastise her, but I'll just be like, come on, like you know, can you put your mic on? Can we talk? Mm-hmm. And does. And I'm hearing her background. Her background is. You know, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. It's clear that she lives in a small space. It's clear that she's living with um her family. It's mm-hmm. clear that there's younger siblings in the house, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a whole dynamic there. And I just felt like, what's going on? Like again, the element of privilege, of thinking that she can operate in the same space as me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's I, I want us to be having these uncomfortable, mm. messy, inconvenient. Incom- yeah, inconvenient, but also really visceral, ungusting yes. conversation. Like, yes. Yes. we need to go to that really deep, dark, ugly place because um, we're, we're talking about everyone... Exp- yeah, we're talking about everyone experiencing COVID in the same way. Mm. Thinking about that actually there's particular parts of London with particular types of black bodies that mm-hmm. might be into class, that mm-hmm. also relate to those who have citizenship and or not. So what mm-hmm. about undocumented? Mm-hmm how they're having to move in and out of spaces. There's so many other vectors of uh, marginalization that are mm-hmm. black bodies. And we're, when we're looking at these statistics, it's not all of us, because he ain't mm. me. Right. And, like, yeah. I, and this is not to be like, I'm proud he ain't me, but I have to be real. It's not me. Mm. And we need to be thinking about, if it's not me, then who is it? Right. Who are these people mm. like these statistics that are, are whose life are threatened? And so I'm just a bit like over us talking about blackness in this really generic way without mm. their specificities and their name. We need to name it. Let's and speak, and, and, let's and, and, speak and, who it is. And the situated nature of being black. Yes. So that, yes. you know, we're not all living out blacknesses in the exact same exactly. way. You know, so for example, I am living a, a sort of Caribbean slash West Indian slash Jamaican. Uh, and I guess you could say a middle class um, mm. uh, construction of my own identity, which puts me in a different set of uh, uh, relationships with, say, how somebody in London, Mm. you know, who is also black and possibly of Caribbean uh, heritage, sees themselves. Mm -hmm. So so we have to now think about blackness as not a universal experience, but nonetheless, blackness as an experience that collectively places all of us in this place of precarity, because Mm -hmm. there's still very much the very real violence that you face in just your everyday existence, you know, you just going, just moving through space, you're constantly contending with those kinds of variables. And I think because we have these sort of privileged lenses that sometimes the state uses to imagine mm. who is supposed to mm. receive a benefit, it can't even begin to conceptualize and unpack, you know, this, this sort of um, uh, dissimilarities then that exist between various communities. So, for example, a very practical way of, 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 of addressing that i mean and listen i understand the value of a a a, a term like bame for example but the way that that also becomes another category to homogenize and to to erase so it it flattens everybody out into one thing and it doesn't recognize that even within those categories there are different access different access points in relation to privilege but also we also know that yeah go on jenny yeah i think that's such a crucial point because when you said that i was like when we were talking about 
okay, not to bring in other ethnic groups, but just for short point making, we talk about Asian people, but who are those Asians? It's probably going to be Bangladeshi people, real tea, in it. It's not going to be India, it's going to be Pakistani, it's probably going to be Bangladeshi people. Precisely. That group of people who are disproportionately affected, but it doesn't serve that, um, Asian people any good when we look at well, where are they situated? Because it might be that they're situated very differently to how black bodies are situated. Mm. For us any good as black bodies to have us situated in the same way because there's different things going on, there's mm -hmm. different factors that are affecting our kind of mortality in that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. relation to COVID as like a here and now temporality, mm -hmm. pre-existing -pre kind of like situations. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I <laughs> I understand, I get it. Because perhaps I've had to, and maybe Rita can also speak um, mm. on this as well, just the BAME as a shadow of a term that has um, been referred to me as a black woman who uses black intentionally mm -hmm. uh, to describe who I am in the world. And I don't, I don't appreciate the term BAME because it, it does, I just think it just doesn't, it does not nobody any good, any of those. No, I, 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 think, I think you're absolutely right. I think the problem is, is that it don't, it does not deal with the particularities mm. of our situations. Mm. And I think because of the extremity of this, because it's a disease that kills, right? A virus that kills, then it's so apparent how useless the BAME acronym is because you know we asked for the data right mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. who was dying mm -hmm. we have the data mm -hmm. but then what does that really mean so it's like you know we know that you know it as you said it's this homogenization of anyone that is not white whatever mm -hmm. that means because mm -hmm. you know that that needs to be contested what is whiteness exactly um, Mm. But it's really important for us in order to be to deal with and to certainly to speak to all of these issues that we're facing. Actually, we need to talk about ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if I'm talking about my experience of my background, that's going to be different from someone who is of uh, possibly, maybe not, um, you know, of, of different cultural heritages. And we have to analyze that because in order to bring about cures, resolutions, we have to look at those. We have to deal with the person and, and the person consists of a culture, an identity, a family, a community. We have to deal with this holistically. Right. And the problem is when you use this homogenization, what mm -hmm. happens is you throw a little bit of money at it. Yeah. And hope wherever it sticks, hopefully you'll help that whoever they are. You know, mm -hmm. if you were lucky enough to be in the place where it sticks, you might be helped. But everybody else is like, what happened? You right. don't even know the kill happened, right? I really want to, sorry, just to see a bug there. It's just kind of opened the lid of the trauma. The thing <laughs> about the way that I hate about this term BAME, and I think mm -hmm. really you've spoken, I think maybe to what I can't articulate, which is the way in which resources are going to get um, sucked up by those mm -hmm. who to dominate within BAME. So those, mm -hmm. those proximities mm -hmm. and accessibilities to whiteness, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. on the whole will not be black bodies. Mm -hmm. You know who we're talking about. And what what my concern is or my worry, or I guess I know how it's going to play out because I'm old enough to see it play out in various times in my life, is that we have these moments of crisis. We have the data that we've been asking for, like Rita has so clearly said, we get the data and then it's not like, no, this is a specific group of people who have, you know, to use the words of Rita, a holistic set of needs that need to be responded to. BAME, as this overarching term, gets money. And it's not going to be black bodies who are going to be handling those resources to redistribute it back to our own communities. That's not going to happen. And that's not to sound negative or to sound cynical, but I'm old enough and now old enough to see this cycle play out when we call out these things. It's black people doing the labor of the calling out of the asking or the demanding of the resources, and then we don't get anything. And that's what my worry is. And can I just say two things here? One, I think that um, you know, part of what we're 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 discussing two things and they're really one thing really. Mm -hmm. It is a question, I think, of this question of what we mean by care. Mm 
when we're so, so one of the things that COVID has shown us is this need for care, but care becomes a very political term. Mm. And I think that part of what I'm also uh, relating that to is the need for imaginative leadership, because a sort of a sort of uh, response that says, all right, let's just give these communities 500 uh, pounds, for example, mm -hmm. it assumes that there's a mechanism in place and people the know-how and the skills to get those resources out yeah. to the places that they need to go to. Very often those communities do not have long histories of these kinds of infrastructures being in place and therefore cannot take up those opportunities if indeed they are there. So what we need is a community-based kind of response and we need, we need this kind of movement between, you know, say state functionaries and communities, you know, people who are in the wake. As, as Christina Sharp would say, you know, who are, who are on the front lines. That's what's needed. So, for example, in Jamaica, we mobilize a, a steering committee. And, you know, the steering committee, by and large, is a, a, a business business people who populate it and some political types. But where are the people, say, out in rural Jamaica? Are their voices going to be represented on these um, steering committees that are then going to get us back to, to work? I mean, we're in a new normal. You know, we're being asked to live with COVID. We're being asked to, to operate in this kind of slippery, uh, precarious place. But the truth is we're not also recognizing that the people on the ground, the people who are being affected, the bodies that are dying, that those voices need to also be part of how the response is configured, how the care work is done. They need to be at the center of the of, of the conversation. And we, and we know historically that just hasn't happened, right? And I think for our own experiences being in the academy, we see how that plays out, right? So, of course, we know that the people who are being uh, most affected by COVID are, are from the Black, Asian, minority ethnic communities. The mm -hmm. evidence is there. Mm -hmm. We also know it's very classed. Mm -hmm. So it's people mm -hmm. working in the frontline jobs that mm -hmm. are being having this over exposure of mm -hmm. COVID, right? Mm -hmm. General public, so people working in care, minimum wage people, public mm -hmm. transport, bus drivers, mm -hmm. right? So these are people who meet the general public, who meet all kinds of people day in and day out, right? Mm -hmm. And so as part of that care, mm -hmm. when we are actually allocating these funds and academics are a part of this conversation, yes. often yes. academics are brought in as the experts, whatever that means, to help facilitate mm. the money, to allocate the money mm. and this is where it's so important for for us as black scholars and the, and the wider black scholars community is mm -hmm. actually you know we have a voice right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we have to use it uh we have to talk about these things because mm -hmm. it's like if we don't talk about it right and if they decide to shut twitter down tomorrow <laughs> no one else will be able to talk about it right so it's like the people who are being most affected about it, the bus drivers, who's asking the bus drivers? Yeah. We know, um, you know, one of the first cases um, that really struck us all, right? I think this is one of the cases of, uh, I mean, there's obviously so many people have died and we and we think about though, and we, we send our condolences to the families mm. lost loved ones at this time because it's a it's a terrible experience and, and not even being able to mourn their families in, in the way that they would is a mm -hmm. very traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. um, but we recall when Kayla Williams, mm -hmm. 36 year old woman, that's young, mm -hmm. mother of three, mm -hmm. is sick. The ambulance came. Mm -hmm and said to her these prophetic words that she was not a priority. Mm. And you think she wasn't a priority, a mother of three with at 36, that she was not a priority. She's a Londoner in Peckham, you know, multicultural, cool London. There was no room for her at that hospital and she died mm. in pain, you know? Um, and it And it spoke to really the violence of 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 uh, the response mm -hmm. and about who who is worthy of the care, right? Right. Who's going right. to get the care? And what we learned from her terrible death, because it traumatized all of us, right? Yeah. We realized at that point, okay, we're we're not going to be we're not we're not a priority. Mm. We're not. It's me. I'm not the priority. Mm -hmm. 
priorities. My mother's not the priority. My sister's not. The, all the people that I know and love that are important, they're not priorities. So it's like suddenly my relationship to COVID, yeah, I'm wearing my mask, I'm being careful. Suddenly it becomes even more heightened because right. if I get it, yeah, who's going to, is someone going to be turning me 24 hours a day like Boris? Am I going to get that kind of treatment? Mm -hmm. Well, right. the, the question is, are you going to be considered a priority in that sense? I mean, you know, you may get some kind of response, but, you know, is that the kind I, of... I don't think so. It kind of shows us then that care is racialized, it's yes. gendered, it's class, it's citizen, it's, it's there's a criteria mm -hmm. to get the care. Mm -hmm. and if, you, if you are missing on the several of those checklists, you don't, you're, why do you need to care? You're well, not, this is it. You know, you don't make it. You don't make it through the threshold. And, and so go on. It's part of, you know, as I, as I hear you talk, Janine and, and Rita, um, and, and just to say that we have a similar situation. There's a, a mother, uh, uh, she was uh, 23 years old. Her name is Jodian Ferron, uh, was at a private medical facility. Uh, uh, you know, she was supposed to be giving birth. And because she was having shortness of breath, uh, you know, it became a whole thing. We can't uh, 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 keep you here. She was turned away from hospitals and she eventually died. You know, and it, it really is to say it's this idea, you know, one of the, 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 the politicians um, very provocatively asked, you know, regular Jamaicans, normal working people, the majority of whom are black. Let's be real about it. Um, he said to them, well, guess what? Stay or as we say in Jamaica, Tanaya Yard, stay home, because the truth is, if you get this disease, I mean, you're not a priority on this list. And it really brings me, in a sense, to something that Sylvia Winter talks about, the, you know, this idea of the principle of natural scarcity, that resources are naturally scarce. And, uh, scarce. and so because there's this, this, this abiding principle of scarcity upon which the capitalist machinery um, is predicated, you know, you cannot get the resources out to certain spaces and care becomes part of the commodification of those resources. So the notion of who can receive the care is something that we, we we can't even imagine that as a as a sort of a poor mother, perhaps precariously placed. I don't know. She's undocumented uh, in London somewhere. We can't imagine that somebody like that could need care. Like who is she anyway? I mean, because the state still can't recognize that it is speaking through or refuses perhaps to recognize that it is speaking through these filtered lenses, you know, and the overarching principle is this principle of natural scarcity. Natural, which is of course not natural. Exactly, but you know, I think this is, this speaks to this, this, the, the, the politics behind this, right? And this goes back to the, co the context, right? Mm -hmm. We were told when austerity started more or less 2007 that it was over, right? But it's not over. And so yeah. we know that part of the inadequacy of the NHS response, mm -hmm. that's got a lot to do with funding, right? There's a shortage. It has not been funded in the way that it needed to be funded. Mm -hmm. So now that we have a crisis, suddenly there's then who gets to get it, right? Mm -hmm. So. If, if a situation is set up where, as you say, there is scarcity and we have a political, we have a, a political uh, party, a political government that was mm -hmm. voted in on particular policies, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so people, you know, evidently, you know, this is democracy, right? We signed up for this. We signed up for austerity. We signed up for Brexit. So we're going to have cuts, right? We knew it was going to get rough, as they said, right? Mm -hmm. So people are... Are, are, are kind of put into this kind of mindset that mm -hmm. you know, one has to sacrifice, right? Mm. So every Thursday at 8 o'clock, 8 p.m., why 8 p.m., why Thursday? Who knows, right? We're meant to come out of our houses, clap with neighbours we probably have never spoken to, or maybe we have, and we clap for the people who've lost their lives caring mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm doing their jobs. So suddenly it's become okay to sacrifice your life for being a nurse, mm -hmm. for being a care worker, for looking after our most vulnerable people, mm -hmm. for driving people to work. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you need to be applauded because you're meant to give up your life. These are mm -hmm. the people often the lowest paid in our society, predominantly, significantly, particularly here in the, the cities mm -hmm. uh, from immigrant backgrounds, right? So many of mm -hmm. them are on visas, many of them pay to use the NHS that they work for. 
This is the craziness of it. So they're paying for a service that they're not entitled to, right? And so we applaud them, but for what purpose? What exactly are we applauding, right? Um, and these are the things that we as scholars must kind of articulate, right? Mm -hmm, so we, mm -hmm. and, and Lisa's article, the other articles that we've been talking about, mm -hmm. you know, I was thinking of the music that you, um, the poetry, um, Janine, that you could probably speak about, because I think it's like, we need to context this. So it's like, this hasn't happened. And I think one of the difficulties of being black in Britain, and I use the word black in Britain as opposed to black British, because a lot of black people living in Britain are not British. And those who claim to be, that is often contested, right? As many of us have found out, um, mm -hmm. as we know so well with the Windrush most recent scandal, mm -hmm. that we have many interventions mm -hmm. that are reminders to us as to what is really going on um so Janine yeah yeah that poem um to be fair I was using it as a piece of example for my hip-hop studies class mm -hmm. like, and I wanted just to do I want to go back to your vocabulary of, um, of genealogy and yeah. said that before it, my brain made me think about um black music genealogy and this kind mm. of interconnection there and so that's why um i picked it and then it really spoke to so many of those students they're like this was written in 1980s but it's so it's this is now like england is a bitch it, it's all the things that you know linda crazy johnson is talking about where we're going through this and i was just like yeah it is a bitch this country is built it's on fuckeries i'm, I'm having to swear because there's no other way to mm to think about it is complete fuckeries and there's I'm just speaking from my heart like it's <laughs> you know like I'm just I'm in constant pause because I'm just thinking we we are literally walking in a labyrinth and we've mm. been told it's this direction and we're turning that left left curve and then we're told we have to go back and then we're told it's on a right and it's like this is what the black body is placed in this in this labyrinth and there is a minotaur there is something out to get us. It's mm -hmm. roaming around and we don't know when it's going to hit. And we don't know whether it's coming behind us, from the side or from the front. And I'm just thinking about like the how crazy making this is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our place in this, in this situation of like perpetual psychosis. Mm -hmm. And then to be in conversation and in community as an educator to you know young black and in some cases brown students who are old enough to be the same age as my nephew and they're going through exactly the same kind of cycle and i'm just in this kind of space of just like what is really going on and but, why do we not take and so just to not to talk over you but like my dis my dismay is like where are the black critical voices like what you know our job or my understanding should i say of my role our role is for us to be able to make sense of this to give people a language to give people a framework a vocabulary a vocabulary a practice to say okay i'm feeling all of these things thank you for articulating that in words or conceptually i can now have the arsenal to understand why I'm, I'm experiencing all of these kind of entanglements and I'm like a so-called academic and I'm like I'm experiencing this and I don't have the language or the frameworks and I'm looking to people who are perhaps much more esteemed I'm like but what are you doing like mm -hmm. you 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 know more than me supposedly mm -hmm. and I'm lost and I, I need guidance and I'm like mm -hmm. Our role here is not to tell people, but it's to give people guidance for them to be able to navigate and to empower. So that when they're walking through situations, they're like, okay, it's that. That's mm. what's happening right now. And I'm 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 like high key, low key disgusted. <laughs> like, <laughs> to be honest, I'm if, like, what the hell is going on? If I could intervene to say that I think as I hear you speaking, Janine, and as I hear you speaking, Rita, one of the things that keep coming back to me, you know, and I was online a couple uh, months ago and you know there's this tremendous uh, critique that is being mobilized against you know uh, uh, intersectionality for example mm. and I, I think that we really now have to talk about the ways in which you know to come back to this question of care who can be cared for what does care 
how the state imagine what Im imagines what care looks like that those are um we need an intersectional lens that allows us to be able to look to see the situated nature of the experiences that people are having and that there are multiple lines that are crisscrossing at various points so that the sense of disorientation that you're speaking to Janine is in, in, in a word not well yeah you know that sense of disorientation the sense that you're not quite sure exactly how am I supposed to feel because as you said at the beginning mm -hmm. you are in a way operating at in a, a privileged space but at the same time you're very much connected to these kinds of um, mm -hmm. struggles and so what I'm saying is that I think that we need to you know foreground the the relevance of, of black scholarship you know so we need to pull on our intellectual uh, uh, histories, we need to, to recognize and widen out the frames beyond just blackness in Britain, blackness in Jamaica, but to look at blackness in other parts of the world, blackness as it is being um, mobilized and understood through the language of perhaps queer studies, you know, even in as much as both of you perhaps know I have my own difficulties with some of those terms, you know, we have to now think about how are different bodies be, being impacted under the the, the strain mm -hmm. of covid and yeah. that and, and that an intersectional response thanks to you know Kim, kimberly crenshaw allows us to then uh reimagine and to think about how race becomes a sort of spatializing practice so mm -hmm. we're it, it spatializes our experiences it becomes a sort of disorienting kind of uh reality because really we are never just one thing at any one time mm -hmm. no and, but also more crucially go on finish and, off, finish and, off and, and, and again you know the the the, the with the role of the academic, the role of the black academic more specifically is to be able to unlock for some of these communities that we're speaking to, speaking about, speaking for, to the extent that we're able to, is to be able to unlock with whatever knowledge it is that we've been privileged uh, in inverted commas to have. And you know, one of the things that comes out to me here, and I've been saying a lot about Sylvia Winter, is this concept of humanity. The idea of who is a human being, what might that person look like, and how do we respond to that person or that being? How do we imagine black people as taking up space under the umbrella of humanity? And we're clearly seeing in the way that COVID is playing out at various points, whether it's in Africa. Well, let us focus on the, the specifics of, say, even America. You know, black folk, generally speaking, are three times more likely to 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 die from having contracted covid we're seeing the same sorts of uh, uh things happening here but also what we are seeing is that the ways in which states are responding to this crisis are telling us that mm. some people mm. are not important some bodies are not important and but, but, care cannot be, 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 be um you know they can't get care in the way that certain that. other people can Absolutely. I think this is so important that what we're getting to here. And I think, but but then again, you know, I guess this is what we, uh, you know, this is one of our motivations for, for this podcast, right? It's, it's about uh, asserting our humanity, right? Mm -hmm. Right here, right now. Okay. Because th this, the, 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 the message out there that's being put out is that there's a hierarchy of value, Mm -hmm. uh, we can't save everybody, so who are we going to let go, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's not about age, because, you know, we know of stories where people in their 80s, in their 90s have walked home from hospital, right? Um, so it's not about age, okay? Race is a, one of the, 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 the signifying factors here of who doesn't get to leave the hospital, right? And we've lost so many people, important people, um, it's been close to us, right? We've all mm -hmm. been impacted by this. And mm -hmm. we know, we've been told that COVID is gonna stalk humanity for the next two years at least, mm -hmm. right? Before they find mm -hmm. some kind of, uh, well, I don't use want to use the word cure, but certainly some kind of remedy to maybe offset some of the, the most um, extreme elements of the condition, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we're gonna be in this state maybe for about 18 months, right? So we've lost a lot of people already. Mm. And it's very important at this stage as we're, you know, we're in the summer now, but we're coming into the winter. We know, you know, this is a, that's always a difficult time of year for all of us is thinking about 
our own selves because you know we're in the community right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in our homes right now trying to stay safe trying to stay out of danger i was out today for a walk uh with my sister and i looked around to see who were wearing their masks and it was all the black people all the asian people wearing a mask and the white people were not wearing their masks because they don't feel they need the mask right they don't need it um and and that tells me that as part of this process of getting people back to normal right mm -hmm. it's like a message this whole thing of the mugger of this racialization of covid mm -hmm. so now we know covid only affects kind of black and brown people right so it mm -hmm. means anyone who doesn't fall into that category i guess can get back to their lives right um we need haircuts we need haircuts as they've been saying saying in yeah. the u.s so you people know? have been shutting down, you know, state capitals and these kinds of things. And with placards saying we need haircuts, people are dying. Yeah. And yeah, that's what people are, are campaigning well, for, to get a haircut. people are dying, right? Black Brown people are dying, yeah. That, that's the difference, right? And the thing is, we know that this, the way they've constructed, the way this disease has been managed in the NHS and, you know, in the healthcare systems, if you get sick, right? Mm -hmm. Your likelihood you have to go into the hospital alone. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, many of us have had experiences of going into hospital. It's very frightening to be unwell, right? Um, often what has got us through that experience is knowing that our relatives have come to visit us or our relatives have been there when we've checked in and been looking at, often been, uh, been our mediators mm -hmm. with the medical mm -hmm. staff, right? Because we've mm -hmm. been unwell, too unwell to do that work, right? Mm -hmm. And covid disables that right it takes away that opportunity for you to advocate for yourself and to have someone advocate for you you are right. totally vulnerable mm -hmm. in that situation mm -hmm. and we know our scholarship our scholars who have written about this we know that when we are vulnerable in those situations mm -hmm. when we know the value of black life we know the chances are suddenly the weight of who lives and who dies suddenly becomes difficult. And I and I think it's really important for us as scholars. We know how serious it is. And I think citing Sylvia Winter about us marrying our thoughts there is really important because right. I think what's been so crucial about COVID is that regardless of whether you're educated, regardless mm -hmm. of our class, mm -hmm. because we are black, COVID can touch us. Mm -hmm. Right, we cannot escape COVID, and it's put us, the the middle class black people, the educated black people, it's put us on a real level footing, yeah, with with those working class black people that we many of us love to write about. Mm. Um, it's put us on the same footing. Suddenly, we we as black people are all in it together, right? We yeah. are mm -hmm. all in it together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a way. And it reminds me sometimes going back to the 80s, right, when there was a sense of community. And I guess one of the things we are talking about is community. I mean, we're a community Precisely. of Precisely. scholars, right, talking, mm -hmm. right? We're having these mm -hmm. ideas in our head, we're in our homes, but mm -hmm. com communing here, speaking mm -hmm. to this, and, you know, we're going to take it further because, you know, you know, we're not here to chat. It's it's part of a, a part of a praxis, right, mm -hmm. of, of mm -hmm. speaking to this, writing this, because it's important had mm -hmm. Linton Kwesi Johnson not wrote yeah. that poem and the, and the way he writes about it, mm -hmm. it's like we wouldn't know that right now. So how do you know what the working class life was for black people in the 70s, in the 80s, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You haven't read mm -hmm. this poetry, right? If you haven't watched these films, you know, Burning an Illusion, you know, a lot of people haven't seen that kind of work. It ain't on TV that often, mm -hmm. I can tell you that. Mm -hmm. So it's like people don't have this knowledge, right? And mm -hmm. Once we have this knowledge, it's so important for us to share it. And, and the podcast is part of that process about getting the information out. It's not about us holding on to knowledge, you know, holding on to mm. it. It's about sharing that knowledge because COVID has taught us that racism kills and that we have to save our lives, all of our lives, from the bus driver to the academic, to mm. the teacher, to the shop worker, we're all, we are as black people all in this together. Precisely. And, you know, if I could just to say, um, you know, so there is one uh, part of the conversation that I think that doesn't come out very often uh, is the way, for example, that we, 
you know, COVID becomes this sort of scientific kind of thing. You know, the virus um, uh, operates in this way scientifically. You know, these are the vectors, etc., etc., etc. What we're not also talking about, and I think you put your finger on it so very um, uh, poignantly and powerfully in what you said earlier. If people go into hospitals, for example, and for whatever sets of reasons, God forbid, they get to the point where they're not going to recover, you're there alone. You know what I'm saying? There's a kind of trauma that you're going through, dying alone, away from community. But imagine all of those were left to grieve the fact that, you know, this person, my, my, my sister, my uncle, my, my next door neighbor's friends, aunt, whomever, you know, that a lot of those, those uh, kinds of traumas, we're not talking about how people are also responding to the epidemic at com community level. You know, the mm -hmm. way in which that becomes a sort of disorienting, to go back to um, uh, Janine's uh, explanation earlier, a very disorienting and, and, and this, the, the way that it also um, it, it's part of a sort of white supremacist logic that has us standing outside of our pain, where our pain is almost something that we can't recognize, you know, and we really, we really have to ask ourselves this question, what would the recovery look like? Are we going to also talk about the mental health trauma? Are we going to talk about how community has to be considered, you know, the, the centralization of these ideas of community? And just to, I mean, I promise I'm going to just wrap mm -hmm. up this section here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, one of the readings that I recommended, you know, Carolyn Cooper talks about something ancestral, recaptured, spirit possession as trope in selected feminist fictions in the African diaspora. And what I like about this reading is the way that it recovers some of these um, uh, historical practices of how communities were able to heal and constitute themselves as being whole. And the notion of spirit possession as something that connects us to a community, even if we can't physically see them. And so in a way, I feel like perhaps part of how we're going to have to respond is to, is to honor ancestors who have gone on ahead of us and in ways that take us back to some of these foundational principles, mm. you know, foundational ways in which communities have healed themselves over time. You know, I mean, tables being set up, you know, ancestral tables being set up to, to, to invoke the, the memory, you know, and, and to give everybody a chance to kind of say, my God, I mean, I feel so hurt by what has happened and so upset. Yeah. We really have to think about new strategies, which are in effect really old strategies, if you ask me. Exactly, old strategies. I think this is the this is the this is the dilemma, isn't it? We talking what you're talking about is how the community respond to this and this violence that's placed on us triggers other traumas, right? This, this is, is the point. Re-triggering, you know, which speaks to your work, uh, Janine, and you know, uh, you know about your work on rest. I think is really crucial here, right? Mm -hmm. About how we heal and how we as how we as scholars, what what is our process now mm -hmm. in this moment mm -hmm. to kind of start that process of 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 healing? Because we, you know, we're black people in this energy right now, and it's mm -hmm. it's impacting us, right? It's impacting mm -hmm. us in a really in a really powerful way. Mm. Yeah, I wanted, there's a few things I wanted to, to kind of tie back in. So, Augustina, you talked about um, imaginative leaders, or I hope I'm not misparaphrasing. Yeah, imaginative leadership. Um, imaginative leadership, thank you. Mm -hmm. And it kind of made me think about, like, what does, as a, a practice, what does that mean? Who mm -hmm. who are the different people that need to be involved mm -hmm. in that as a kind of a collective building a holistic framework that might one part be historical so thinking about what is the foundations that have been laid before us mm -hmm. how that up maybe we readapt it or re-articulate mm -hmm. it for the conversations and the conditions that we're in now and i mean that's something that i think we need really to be doing on a, a level that's like intergenerational yes that is um i use the word global forgive me but it's thinking about you know those located in Britain mm -hmm. in relationship to those in parts of the Caribbean, mm -hmm. parts of um, Africa where mm -hmm. our bridges uh, might be um, linked to, even those outside of London. There mm -hmm. I think that. Mm -hmm. um, you know like how do we have this conversation that brings in these kind of multitude of voices? Because I feel like that's going to be the the mobilising strategy that we need because we know to you know to reiterate the state doesn't care. You know, mm -hmm. 
it's not in it's we are the most disposable they have literally probably decided mm-hmm. who go first let's mm-hmm. experiment who you know we know our bodies have been experimented upon historically we are being experimented upon right now about mm-hmm. dying the most in what conditions are they dying how are they dying and what happens if we lose them you know mm-hmm. it's an experiment that we're all going through um and it's violent and it's traumatic so what what do we have in our arsenals in our tools of reference to hold and heal each other and i think maybe mm. perhaps what we can think about as like provocations whether that's mm-hmm. writing whether mm-hmm. that's saying what needs to be said totally totally you know other practice that can come in into mm-hmm. that uh, i don't know a dynamic kind of way of moving and Oh, I totally, I totally agree. One of the things that, I mean, for myself, that I have found very useful, I mean, uh, generally speaking, but especially now in COVID, is writing stories and poetry. And it doesn't, in and of itself, doesn't have to be about COVID, but it, it allows me to, to, to reach into myself and to tap into things mm. that... It, under ordinary circumstances, perhaps I would not have mm. done so in the way that I'm doing now. And just to also to say, to come back to this point about spirit possession and, you know, you know, like ancestral uh, wor- uh, worship, you know, we know that in the sort of uh, history of imperial Christianity that, I mean, that many of us have been exposed to, that these are demonic ideas. But we really have to think about how we, we step away from some of those, the received logic of white supremacy has, as it has come come to us through imperialist discourses, and to think about how we psychically heal ourselves, what yeah. centering practices, mm-hmm. how can we reimagine the roots to community, ways back to 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 spaces of healing. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm surely not telling people that they should go and write, but I'm saying that if mm-hmm. that works for you, that is definitely something that we can consider. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. A communal writing, you know, we're like a quilt, you know, African-American women, for example, are very, you know, quilting is part of their tradition, you know, and the quilts hold stories of the community. How can we engage those kinds of practices? How can we go back to reading the works of, I don't know, perhaps enslaved women talking about particular things that they have gone through? You know, how does that help us in this moment as we reach across time and space to recover these voices, to, to, to help us to heal in this moment? You know, what, what are these feminist collectives, for example, Rita, that you're yeah. researching? You know, how are they playing a role in the recovery effort and the, in the healing that is needed to reconstitute communities and make them whole? Yeah. I, I think one of those things is that what they're doing, I think what has happened, you know, COVID has come as a big, it's come on the horizon, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I think we all needed to gather our breath, first of mm-hmm. all, just to kind of work out what what is going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think what, what the, I think what we're all doing, and I think particularly, say, for millennials who I've definitely not, you know, this kind of, you know, they're dealing with the whole austerity of Brexit mm-hmm. um, and then this, you know, these are serious traumas that mm-hmm. um, our young people, our, our, our you know, our, our, our future leaders are experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. And I think many of them are, are, are like everybody else struggling to grapple with this, yes, because this is unprecedented mm-hmm. at the same time. And I think this is particularly uh, pertinent. Um, for those of us of Caribbean heritage here in the UK, is that a lot of our elders, you know, are, are passing or have passed, and so mm-hmm. it's about that 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 memory mm-hmm. of community, that memory of doing things here in mm-hmm. the UK mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. And about who writes that that memory memory down? Who mm-hmm. tells? Who writes? Who narrates that story mm-hmm. of how our elders did their community work? in the 50s, mm-hmm. in the 40s, in the 30s, in the 20s, because you know, you know, we were here before 1940, mm-hmm. right? Let's just, let's just put that one out there. Um, and so this is important that we're writing it down because we know, or we see this in music and arts, right? Mm-hmm. We start something off and before you know it, two twos, suddenly it's become a everyday, every, everyone and their, and their mother is, is mm. in it, right? Mm. So it's been evacuated of its, of its power. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think 
this is about really one reminding ourselves i think this centering of community and understanding you know we've been through many traumas right mm -hmm. and we have been healing mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. We have been healing. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's about reclaiming that knowledge. And I think for a lot of those, the digital generation, as I call them, mm -hmm. um, they become quite removed. I think often they this genealogy of generational, it's been quite difficult because mm -hmm. I this the society, the way it's working, it's very much focused on the individual and about mm -hmm. self-improvement and the community. That's patient work. That, that yes, stuff yes. takes time. Yes, you know, it, yes. It's, it's not sexy going to it's, um, it's some work. It's work. on a Wednesday night when you could be at home well, watching it was all the Champions League. You know, yeah. it, it, it's this is work, right? It's, there's nothing nothing sexy about this, but this is how you create change. This is how you build community. You need a space. You got to meet at the space. You need to make a plan. And you have to execute the plan. Mm. It's just work, right? And, and um, reflect on the plan. Reflect on it reflect as you're going through and executing you have it. To commune together to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, the internet is great. Social media is great for starting the conversations. Mm -hmm. But then you have to move on and do other things, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. and and that learned experience. Mm -hmm. um, there have been interventions by state mm -hmm. powers to mm -hmm. prevent those, right? Mm -hmm. You set to things disrupt up. them to disrupt either by removing funding, either by uh, taking back buildings. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that, you know, that comes to mind is um, what happened at Centerprise in Hackney, you know, a beautiful building, a community building for arts and books. Council took it back, right? So, you know, this is how those things are taken away. So it's constantly maneuvering the mm -hmm. violence, right? Constantly maneuvering white supremacy in this way. Mm -hmm. And also really understanding um, the, the 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 nature of white supremacy here in the United Kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. How it operates, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. there's a history to that, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. often people don't want to talk about it, right? Because it's like it's uncomfortable, and we don't want to talk about race, right? Actually, we do. We do want to talk about it um, because, or rather, we need to. Everything around us, this city, this great city of London, its mm -hmm. whole profits, its whole industry was built on colonialism, right? And I know we know this, but that's still going on. Mm. It's not a history. This is still going on and this is impacting us. So there's a reason why we're all here, right? We didn't just mm. arrive. Mm -mm. There was a journey there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I think these are the things that we need to do and i think it goes back to what you've both been saying talking about community but talking about the intergenerational talk but not just at community level it also applies to us as scholars right mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. are scholar elders who mm -hmm. some, some of us some of them we remember some of them we don't um and we need to connect with those narratives right we need to connect to them and tell those stories and rita i wondered if i could just jump in very quickly to say i remember meeting van lee burke uh last year um, at the BCA, the um, Black Cultural Archives in London. And I remember him saying that he really just started taking photographs, just, you know, he had a camera, he had some basic photography skills, and he just really just started recording men talking in, um, you know, certain spaces. He would see children playing in a park and he would take photographs and over time developed a whole archive of the history of a community's presence. Uh, and so what I'm, I'm, I'm making that point to come to say things like popular music. So we don't often think about those as spaces that can hold very critical conversations about survival, about a sort of archiving of memory, about a lived experience that needs to be unpacked. And, 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 and young people, I mean, old people, all people have those tools at their disposal. You know, a, 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 an Android phone, a smartphone, whatever. You know, there are opportunities to to start thinking of reimagining how you're then going to respond to this, how mm. you're going to make yourself whole. And so, you know, it's important that we look back at the history, even as we assess where we are and plan for where we're going. I think yeah. that's really the point that I'm trying to yeah. make. And I'll probably give the last word, if uh, you don't mind, to Janine. You know, I think, um, you know, I think we're, we, we've been talking about the genealogy we're sort of cementing mm -hmm. on that about community and about mm -hmm. intergenerational knowledge right mm -hmm. because often in britain it's the erasure right it's mm -hmm. the it's the brutal erasure of 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 histories 
so that people feel they're the first people feel that we're starting again so you feel like you're having to reinvent the wheel which is an exhausting process by the way so it's like you know these so these conversations that we're having you know this is this is an archive right we're, we're setting down our markers we are as, as black scholars we we are communicating we're talking but also we're, we're working as well right mm -hmm. so you know janine I'll leave you with the last word to Thank take us out. <laughs> I guess just sitting with the weight of what this conversation is and the importance of the conversation. But I guess for me, it's thinking about what we're going through is nothing new. Mm. Since we know this is a, a repeat of histories, both recent and perhaps further away from our own, how what what do we adapt from that? What do we pick from that? And I can see you're talking about intersectionality and then I also remember thinking, but Claudia Jones would have called that the triple oppression, you mm. know. So then we have all of these vocabularies that exist. This is no disrespect to Kimberly Crenshaw, by the way. What I'm just trying to say is that no, 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 of course. We have the frameworks, mm. they we call them different names. So how mm. do we start connecting those dots to say we're using this language now or this concept now, but actually 30 years ago, we were talking about it in this way, or 100 years ago, or how far back we want to mm, mm. That's kind of the, I think, the work that we need to do is so that we're not being lost, we're not being erased, we're not being kind of propelled into this kind of histories without any anchoring or path, we're just kind of, you know, floating free atoms, because I think mm -hmm. that's also part of this work of disorientation is that had we known that things had happened before and actions have taken place, we'll be better equipped. Mm. Our work is about really making apparent the interconnections between what has happened then, what is happening now, and what will potentially happen in the future. And as legacies. I say, yeah. definitely, yeah. I completely. I mean, co-signed. Hashtag <laughs> co-signed. <laughs> co I think that's what I want Absolutely. to see today. Absolutely. You know? I, I think that is a, a perfect way to wrap up, really. Um, listen, it's been great. You know, um, we will continue, you know, the work. And, um, and you know, I think what I want to say is that, you know, take care. I think we all need to take care of ourselves and Definitely. the people we know, our communities. And uh, we want to thank uh, Tiso and Chantel um, uh, on Surviving Society for um giving us this opportunity for sharing, uh, giving a platform for us to to, to host this conversation because it's mm. really important, right? And this mm. is about, again, about community, community of scholars who are supporting each other in these really difficult times, right? It's mm. about um, having these conversations and um, it's been great. So thank you very much. Yeah. And we will definitely, you know, we, we will speak again. Definitely. Sure. And All thank right? you both. I mean, this is so rich and powerful. Take care. Alrighty. <laughs> Catch you. Okay, bye. Bye bye.